And I don't know if this is going to be a series or not, but it's just something that's been stirring in my heart as I've been thinking about just what the Lord's doing in our midst these last few weeks. I really sense God's doing something sweet and new and fresh here at Evergrace, and I'm just excited about what the Lord's doing, and I'm excited about what the future looks like for us. And if we turn to Leviticus chapter 6, there's a, there's a phrase that has just been stirring in my heart, theology on fire. And I don't know if I read that somewhere or who said that. I probably read it from somewhere. I don't know where I got that from, but it's just something that's been stirring in my heart. I've been thinking about the word of God that's on fire in our heart. And Samuel Chadwick said it very well. He described a dilemma in the church. And this was a man who was a preacher in England back in the late 1800s. And he said this. He said, why does the church stay indoors? They have a theology that has dwindled into a philosophy in which there is no thrill of faith, no terror of doom, and no concern for souls. Unbelief has put the fire out of passion, and worldliness garlands the altar of sacrifice with the toddy glitter of unreality. Those are some big 18th century, uh, 19th century words there. What he's saying is that we have become content to stay inside the four walls of the church and that we have become, the fire has been quenched because of the things of the world and unbelief. Jim Elliott, and I'm sure you know that name, Jim Elliott was a missionary to Central America and his wife is Elizabeth Elliott and she was the one who did so many wonderful writings um, in the church and he was a minister there, he was a missionary with his wife and they were ministering to the Indians of Central America and uh, just reading through his journal, I don't know if you've read him, but he's an author that should be in our, in our libraries. Jim Elliott wrote this about Psalm 104, verse 4, when David the psalmist said, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. He writes this question, he writes this in his journal, it's in his handwriting. And by the way, Jim Elliott dies a martyr. He's in Central America, he's preaching to the Indians. Um, the Indians reject him, and they start... They, um, they start shooting arrows at him. And as he's, they're shooting arrows right into his body. And as he's preaching, he's pulling the arrows out saying, Jesus loves you, God loves you. And they keep shooting arrows at him and he keeps pulling them out. And he dies preaching this message that Jesus loves you. And he writes this, he writes this in his journal. Am I ignitable? Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Now he's not writing, he's not writing on Facebook where everybody's going to see what he's, what he's writing. He's writing in a journal, and he says this, God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Holy Spirit that I may be a flame. He writes this in his journal. Leviticus chapter 6, and this is what we see the dilemma is in the church today. I think that in the South, and I'm not originally from the South, I love living in Texas. I think I'm a Texan now. I have a Texan license. Does that count? No? Okay. Tony self says I still need a visa because I'm, I'm a Yankee. But Texas and the southern parts of the United States, there's a lot of Christianity here, isn't it? There's a lot of churchianity going on. And I don't mean this in a way of critical way, but I think it's very easy that when we're a believer for a long time and we live in a Christian culture where you can go to Chick-fil-A and someone actually says, God bless you, have a great day. The first time that ever happened, I was shocked. I went to, I remember my wife and I came down here to visit for the first time 
and we were at uh, Market Street. We, went, we were walking by the Starbucks, and there was a group of teenagers with their Bible open at a table having a Bible study. I'm like, where am I? <laughs> and I walked up to them because, you know, I'm from the Northeast, and it's just godless up there. I mean, it's just, it's just you know, it's a mess. Massachusetts is just out of this world. And I walk up to the teenagers, and I said, hey, is that a Bible? And they're like, yeah, that's a Bible. Or kind of looking at me like, where are you from? <laughs> and I said, are you studying? And I said, they said, yeah, we're studying the word. We're having a Bible study here. Three teenage girls. I said, that's incredible. And I said, that's just so great that you're starting your life in the word. And I just proceeded to talk with them. And I think that there's just a familiarity that could come into our life as believers with the word of God. We are holding the word that created the world. Can you, can you believe that? That's amazing. If we could... We could just say that and end the message today, that we, are, we have in our hands the words that created reality. As a matter of fact, the word aletheia in the Greek, the word for truth, actually means, and means reality, right? It means reality. Facts may be factual, but they are not necessarily reality. Truth is reality. And so we hold this book, and this book is what created the world. And, you know, when I think about Jeremiah, and do you remember that portion of Scripture when Jeremiah is in the middle of his ministry? And I think if you've been in ministry, and some of you are, there are these moments where you just said, you know, what? I want to throw in the towel. You know, I just want to throw in the towel. I'm just fed up with the way God's treating me. I don't think that God's treating me very well. I think that I deserve better. I'm laying down my life. I'm spending my money. I could be a lot of doing other things. And here's Jeremiah with a calling in his life to suffer as a preacher. And he's preaching, and he's preaching to Israel, and no one gets saved. No one, like, receives Christ. No one repents. It's just, and actually his ministry goes on, and then he says, that's it. And he says these words, I will no longer speak of your name. That's what he says to God. I don't know if you've been there as a minister, but here is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, and he's saying, I'm quitting. I'm throwing in the towel. I've had it. I'm done. I'm just done the way God's treating me. He throws in the towel. But in the same breath, he says, but your word burned within me like a fire, and I could not stop. Isn't it amazing when the word of God comes into our life and starts to burn in our life where we say, you know what, I want to throw in the towel, but guess what? The fire's still burning, and I just have no more choice. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but when we give ourselves over to the word of God in our life, then we understand that there's something bigger in us and that is Christ in us. And so the dilemma today in the church is, is that now we can worship without God. We can actually worship and not have any obedience in our life. It's very possible that we get so occupied with fire and the flame that we begin to worship the fire and the flame, but we forsake obedience. We forsake taking steps of faith in our life in the word. And so what I, I don't want to talk about that necessarily this morning. I want to just talk about here, what is in Leviticus chapter 6, the diagnosis? So we talked about the dilemma that now it's possible to worship God without God and to serve God without, without knowing God. Now let's look at the diagnosis. How does God diagnose the situation? Some verses that have always spoke very deeply to me. In Leviticus chapter 6, I just want to read them to you, verses 8 through 13. And here is God speaking to how he wants the priests and the offerings to be done. And in verse 8, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 9, command Aaron and his sons, saying that the law of the burnt offering, the burnt offering shall be on the 
hearth on the altar all night until the morning. So what's, what do we have? We have an altar in the tabernacle, and there is a sacrifice there, and it's to be burning all night. This is the sin offering. It's the, and the altar, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. In verse 10, and the priest shall put on his linen garment. Why linen? I think that there's never a mistake, but linen speaks of a cotton garment that does not cause sweat. You know, when Christ is serving God, when you and I are in a place of ministry serving God, we are wearing these linen garments of grace. And we're not sweating it out for God because of the grace and the joy of the Lord in our life. And he puts on this linen garment. And what does he do? He takes up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them on the side of the altar. Let me ask you this morning. What is the altar for the believer today? I know you know it. It's the cross of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's the altar, the ultimate altar. And here are the ashes being removed from the fire. Why? Because the ashes, on verse 11, the ashes will threaten the flame. I remember we were on a men's getaway in Ukraine on the beach of Odessa. Odessa is a lot like Galveston, very similar scenario. And we just had a bunch of about 12, 13 guys. And we just, we took the night and we just had a bond. It was the last night of our uh, men's getaway. And we just camped out on the beach and we built this huge bonfire. You can do that. I don't know if you can do that here in Galveston, but we built this huge fire. Amazing time in the word, amazing time of fellowship and an amazing time of food. And we're just there and we just all go to sleep. The fire's burning. And in the morning, now this was like near the end of August. In Odessa and Ukraine, the weather goes from hot, like in one night it goes cold. It just drops, the temperature drops. And it just happened to be that night that we're on the beach sleeping. It's really hot that night. Next morning it's cold. And so the fire goes down and we, we, you know, we're waking up and I'm looking at the guys. And there's a couple of the guys that had like literally cuddled up to like where the embers of the fire were. And there was all these ashes around the fire and the fire was going out. One of the young guys like literally woke up with ashes all over him. And I just remember seeing those ashes and we had to clean out all the ashes so that we could get the fire going again. Ashes are what quench the fire. Now, when I talk about stirring the fire up, or we've all heard messages like we've got to stir that fire up. We've got to get on fire for God. We've got to, we've got to get passionate. How do we get passionate in our life? We have to answer this question first. Because this is where fire comes from. Okay, I'm not going to tell you today, you got to get on fire for God. You're not on fire for God. Because we could all say that. We can wake up sometimes in the morning and say, I'm not on fire for God. And instead of worshiping the fire and seeking the fire, we need to go, we need to look at Leviticus chapter 6 and understand what's happening. The fire on the altar in verse 12 shall be kept burning on it and it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, every morning. What does wood represent? in the word, the humanity of Christ, wood, humanity, people are always in the Bible related to wood. And here's the humanity of Christ. It's not the priest laying himself on the altar. It's Christ's offering on the altar. We got to get this straight because when we look at Moses, are you following me so far? When we see Moses walking in the wilderness after 40 years of just missing his calling, Can that happen in a person's life? Yeah. Somebody's calling could start at the age of 80. Yes, that could happen. 
Here's Moses. He's just wandering around. He's got this family. He's got, he just, he's just living so, he's living so below his call. And God's like, I'm not done with this guy yet. So he, so God creates this event where there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. You ever think about what that means? I mean, I love reading the word and just thinking about symbolism. Here's a bush, wood, burning, and it's not being consumed. What does that speak to you? I know some of you are already thinking about what that is. It's a picture of Moses' life in the call of God that he's going to be a man on fire, but he's not going to be consumed, and he's not going to, get, he's not going to quit, and he's not going to get burnt out, and he's not going to complain. It's going to be a fire in his life, and what is that picture? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. Again, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. How can we understand what it means to have theology, our belief system, on fire without looking at Jesus Christ? We cannot look at ourselves. We look at him. Jesus is burning. He's a man. He was a man that was preaching and on fire for the will of the Father in Matthew chapter 4. And he's not being consumed. And the fire shall not, be, the fire shall not go out and he shall put wood on the, on, on the altar every morning. And that's what it means for, you know, this is what it means for us. Every morning we go to our altar. We get our coffee or tea or whatever we're drinking in the morning. Go to the altar and just put wood on it. What's the wood that we're putting on it? We're look, it's, the, it's the sacrifice of Christ. Christ has already laid down his life. And we're letting God consume that, his obedience. And as that's burning, it does not go out. And that burnt offering shall burn on it and burnt all the fat and the peace offerings, which is an amazing thing to talk about, but we'll not hit that this morning. Verse 13, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. How do we live that kind of a life? This is the proposition of God. How do we live that kind of life? Well, ashes, and I want to describe what are ashes here this morning. If you're taking notes, make sure you get this. Ashes are the only leftovers of an offering. When you burn something, Whatever, whatever you are burning, the only thing that's left is ashes. And these ashes, have you ever gotten yourself cleaning? Have you ever cleaned out your fireplace and you've got ashes all over you and it's a mess? I mean, it's, it's really a mess. Ashes stick to everything. They are hard to clean up. They are the only evidence of the sin that was paid for and forgiven. When you look at the sacrifice, the burnt offering that burnt all night, the ashes were the only evidence of what was going on all night. Ashes, ashes, that that ashiness, it's the memories, it's the feelings of the sin and those things that have been forgiven in our life. Today we are here, we celebrated communion, we celebrated the broken body and the, and the blood of Christ, and we, we celebrated that, we, we understand that we are forgiven. I think we're living in the joy of that, that's why we're here this morning. But there are moments when the memory comes back and the devil wants to get on your case and say, you got a record, and that record's not going anywhere, and people know about it, and he wants to start bringing back the ashes. He wants to start bringing back the, the leftovers. Do you know what I'm saying? He wants to bring something into your life that wants to discourage us and get us so wrapped up in self-awareness. It's the memories, the feelings, and the shame, and like the regret, like what was I thinking when I did that? I was out of my mind, and yes, Every one of us have stories like that in this room. There's every one of us in this room that has a story that if somebody brought it up, we'd be like, oh my gosh, dear Jesus. In Ephesians 3, verse 19, so ashes, you know what ashes mean? It's the knowledge of sin. 
It's just the knowledge of stuff that God has forgiven. It's the knowledge of what happened yesterday. It's the ashes. In Ephesians 3.19, uh, and if you have your Bible, look at that verse with me. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now think of that with me for a moment. I saw this verse this morning and yesterday in this light. And it was so fresh that the, the love of Christ passes knowledge. Knowledge of what? Sin. Knowledge of what, was, what Chris was saying earlier. The impossibility of our situation. Jesus comes into the picture. And where do we see this illustrated? We're talking about theology on fire this morning. We're talking about our belief system consuming us, being on fire in our life where we give ourselves over to it. And we're talking about how does that happen? It begins this way. Understanding that our sins have been removed and have been taken away like the priest would take these ashes from the side of the altar and he would go out and put them in a place that was not inhabited. Ephesians 3.19 says, And the love of Christ passes knowledge. God today is not sitting on his throne fretting about your sin. He's not sitting on the throne worried about what everybody's doing wrong. Why? Because that was taken care of 2,000 years ago. That was dealt with. When we sometimes get so wrapped up about sin or mistakes or things that are going on in our life in the present tense, God's like, you know what? You're on a frequency that I'm not even on. Confession and repentance means it means looking. That's what belief, by the way, is. Faith and belief is just looking. That's what repentance is. I'm, repentance means I'm turning my eyes from that and I'm turning my eyes to Christ. That's repentance. That's repentance. And the love of Christ passes knowledge. That's so wonderful today because we come to church and I know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm the last person that should be here, that should be preaching. Uh, I, feel, I can feel we can all live in this sense of disqualification. But you know something? When we look at Christ, we discover that his love passes the knowledge of what's going on in your life. How about this? The love of Christ in you passes the knowledge of what you know about other people. What do I know about other people? I just want to make sure that the love of Christ is going beyond that. Because we can get stuck at the ashes. We can get stuck at the offering at the altar. We can get stuck with all the leftovers. Yeah, that person's saved. Yeah, that person is in Christ. Now that person's in the church. But the memories... The memories. How can I get over that? I'm, gonna, I'm talking about that this morning. The love of Christ passes that knowledge. The love of Christ is dwelling on something that goes beyond what people can see and what people can be occupied. When it passes knowledge, in verse, 13, verse 19 it says, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. How do we live in spiritual abundance? We hear this word in Christianity, abundant life and things like that. How do we live in that? We live in it, the love of Christ that passes knowledge. What do you know about yourself? I don't know, stuff in our, about our lives that nobody else knows in the room. What do we know about ourselves? The love of Christ goes beyond that. And Jesus says, I knew that about you. I knew about that in eternity past. I knew you were going to blow it. Or you, and, and I'm not only talking about sin, I'm talking about success that has to go to the cross. I knew that was going to happen in, in eternity past. And that is why in Romans 11, God concluded the whole earth in unbelief so that what? He might have mercy on all. And so in verse... So the love of Christ passes the knowledge. And verses, in John chapter 8, there's a scene, if you remember correctly, there's a woman caught in adultery. She's dragged out by the, by the militant religious police of the day, the Pharisees. They're dragging her out, and they're, they're, they're in the center square, and then Jesus is there, and this is a test for Jesus. We know the story. Jesus, what should we do? The law of Moses says this. You say that. What should we do? And what does Jesus do? He makes... 
His love goes beyond the situation. He says, okay, law, Moses, law of Moses says that. I'm preaching this. Let's talk about you guys. You that are without sin, throw the first stone. If you dig into that in the original language, commentators are saying that Jesus is saying, you that have not committed that same sin and possibly with that same woman, go ahead and throw the, same, go ahead and throw the stone. What does it say? They begin to all leave from the, from the oldest to the youngest. Amazing, isn't it? God's love goes beyond the situation. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. You know, this, these ashes are the memories, the, re, the, recollect, the recollection of past sin, the recollection of the past. Because we can live so much in our past that we're never experiencing the presence, presence of, of God. Because we are no longer, in Romans chapter 7, what we used to be, in verse 20. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this, and this is how, when, when we read about the high priest taking the ashes, Christ is not only the sacrifice, but he's also the high priest. He's the whole thing. He's doing the whole work. It's a finished work. He takes the ashes. He puts them on the side of the altar. He changes his clothes. He comes back, and he takes the ashes, and he brings them out to, and he separates the memories and the feelings. He separates that from us. This is the power of forgiveness. Somebody says, well, I can forgive, but I can never forget. Well, that's kind of true. I mean, stuff that happens to us today, I, we're going to remember it, right? What does that mean to forgive and to forget? It means this. It means that I understand the forgiveness of Christ so powerfully in my life that it, the emotional impact no longer has that hold on me. Yes, I remember the event, but that doesn't have the emotional impact on me. It doesn't have the bondage that it had on me before. I've been set free from the emotional bondage of that sin and that mistake in my life. And so by canceling in verse 14 of Colossians 2, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside. Now, what is he referring to? We know that in the Roman system, when a criminal was put away, his charge was written over the jail cell. It was written in detail all the dirt, everything that that guy ever did. It was written right over the jail cell. So when everybody would come and visit this criminal or when they would come in, every morning they'd wake up and they'd see their debt to society. They'd see their, their sin. Even though justice had been exacted, they still were aware of their sin. That's ashes, friends. That's ashes in a Christian's life. God wants to deliver us from the ashes because the ashes are the memories of past things that God has dealt with already. The justice of God has fallen on the sacrifice. We are forgiven. We are clean. We are set free. But the writings are there. The memories are there. And this is what is being written about here in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, canceling the record of the debt. Not only of the debt, but the record of the debt. There's no credit report there. I don't know. Have you ever applied for a house or a car or something and you're struggling with your credit report. There's no credit report in heaven because it's been wiped away. It's been set aside. And how do you do this? He set this aside by nailing it to the cross. He became your debt. He became our sin in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, without losing his divinity. That's the hypostatic union. That is the, uh, that is the mystery of Christ, the God in man. Set it aside, nailing it to the cross. We walk around, we want to pull that off the cross and we want to think about what we did. And okay, and some people mistake, you know, repentance by that. Of course, repentance is godly sorrow, but it's never, it's never guilty regret. 
because that's something else. And we want to take it down off the cross and we want to try to prop it up and we want to try to fix it in our life. But it's been nailed to the cross forever. In verse 15, what does it say in verse 15? And remember the Colossians, the Colossi church is dealing with just this misunderstanding of angels and they're doing angel worship and there's this strange occupation of the supernatural. And what does he say here in verse 15? He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. When Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father's right hand, he passed through the atmosphere where in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, where the prince of the power of the air is camped out, and that's his headquarters, and, he's, and Christ passes right through that. And as he's passing through, there's no way that demons and these angels could hold him down. He's passing right through it, and he's bringing them to open shame, and he sits at the right hand of God and, and, and says it's forgiven, and he takes his blood and he puts it on the mercy seat in that's in heaven today, and he says, it is finished, it is done, it's over, the conversation is over, the ashes have been cleaned away, and he's saying, stop living in your ashes, stop living in your ashes, stop talking about it. Yes, we need counseling, yes, we need help, but let's not talk about the ashes that this morning, his mercies and limitations 322 are new and they're fresh and they, they, they are abundant and the grace of God is without measure on us. And we're forgiven. Can I just say that the rest of the message? You're forgiven. You're gone. Let's not live in it. Let's stop thinking about it. And let Jesus say, you know what? You worried about your sin? So Paul said this. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. But then he stops. He says, but God. But God. Yeah, that's part of my history. But I'm not living in the emotional guilt and the pull down of it all. And we are set free. And I don't know what your storyline looks like, divorce, sin. I don't know what is part of your life here. I mean, it could be the worst of the worst. And guess what? I don't need to know. Please don't tell me. Just talk to Jesus about it because I'm not going to bury your sins. If you need counsel, yes. But like the less, we don't need to tell people everything because we have an advocate in heaven. Whatever is part of your timeline, and, and don't misunderstand me. If you don't know me, I, I just don't want you to misunderstand me. And I'll say this the best way I can, is that, let's say it this way, God redeems everything in your life, the good times and the bad times. And guess what? That, all the, you know, your, your times that you meet Christ, the times that you're set free, the times that you have victory in Christ is sacred. But guess what else is sacred? The mess-ups. And how, what do I mean by that? It means like this, is that God takes these times and these horrible times, and it's like we're not proud of it, but it becomes part of a story of incredible redemption. And we can read Hebrews chapter 11 and the heroes of the faith. You know, we read about these guys and every one of these guys in Hebrews chapter 11 could have said, you know what? Yes, you're right. That happened to me and I can hang my head down in shame. But why are they heroes of faith? Because they were sinless? No, because they understood how to let Jesus take the ashes away and separate them from the ashes and they could live in pressing on towards the High calling that is in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, there's forgiveness of sins. And it says in that chapter that the worshipers would have no longer any consciousness of sins. I'm not preaching here that we can go and sin. You understand what I'm saying? God forbid. Because when we meet Jesus Christ, we're going in the opposite direction. We're not heading in that direction. We're heading in the direction of holiness because Christ is holy. 
And when we understand in Hebrews chapter 10 that the ashes have been taken away, that there's a sacrifice for all of our sins, for our weaknesses and our embarrassments and things that we fall short in today, that there's been, that's been removed from us so there's no more consciousness of sins. And that's when true worship can happen. When we can look at Jesus face to face, eye to eye. Sometimes people struggle to have eye contact because they just, they, they just, they're, just, they're just so broken about what's happening in their life. So I want to say to you today, and this I'm going to close in a minute, stop trying to pay God back for paying for your sin. Just let him take the ashes away. Let me finish with this. What does that mean for us today? Ashes are removed. Conversation is no longer about ashes. I don't want to be an ashy Christian. I don't want to walk around like that, that guy had ashes all over him because he was trying to sleep next to a fire that was dying out. I don't want to be speaking and ashes coming out of my mouth. I want to be a person that has a, that I want to look at our future in, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And I want to read this verse to you in a new light. It says this, the Lord will be gracious. Therefore, the Lord waits in verse 18 to be gracious to you. You know what that word wait in the original language means to wait? It just means he's, it means to wait. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It just means that he's not going to execute judgment He's going to execute John. He's waiting, though, because judgment has been executed on his son in eternity past at the cross, and God waits to be gracious. He's waiting for us to stop trying to pay for our sins and to get into all of these human programs where we're trying to embedder ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves. He says, I'm waiting to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. What does that mean? If you've been in court... For whatever reason, traffic or whatever, speeding ticket or whatever, you're in that court. That judge is climbing up these stairs. He's in an elevated position, and you know that, that he is in an elevated position to pass judgment. God is in an elevated place of worship, a place of, 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 um, of worship because he's there, and he's, his, his, um, he exalts himself to show mercy to us. For the, God, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. What does that mean for us today? It means in, Ephesians, in Philippians 3 verse 13 that we can forget those things that are behind us. Forget those things that are behind us. They're there. Yes, I can remember them. But forgetting in the sense that they're no longer that emotional connection with me. And I can press forward to those things which are before Fire does not need to be kindled. And this is the main point I want to make at the end of the message here. Fire does not need to be kindled in our life through some emotional struggle. It's not something that we need to produce. It's already there. Christ is in us, Colossians 1.27. It's not something that we need to produce. We don't need to become Christian fire worshipers or fire seekers. It's there. We just need to allow the truth of Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, that has been removed from us. And don't live in the ashes. And when the ashes come, when the ashes come your way, just deny it and allow our high priest to take them out in Colossians 2 verse 14 and live in the presence of who you are in God today. I want to close with a poem. Some of you that may be kind of old school. I like old hymns. I like to read them. I get an old hymn book back at my house and sometimes just go I'll just read through the words I don't know if you guys do that but I just it stirs my heart to read these guys and what they write and A.B. Simpson wrote this he wrote this was a hymn back in the day and it's called himself and you know something when we allow 
Jesus the sacrifice and Jesus the high priest to function in our life and we surrender to that and we submit to his work, his finished work, then we discover it's not about anything else that I'm doing or not doing. It becomes about Christ in my life. And I want to read this. This is what he wrote. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, only Christ I'll sing. Everything is in Christ, and Christ is everything. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the effectual finished work of Jesus Christ.